0: good morning, everyone. It's kind of a bittersweet morning. Uh, Bitter because this is our last uh, Sunday in our Book of James study. Sweet because it ends so sweetly. It's a great, great uh, ending. As I've looked at the verses that we'll look at this morning at the end of the letter of James, I'm more and more convinced that they're a call to respond. It's as if James is saying, based on everything that I've written to you up to this point, here's what you should do. And I say that knowing that these verses include some of the most misunderstood verses in all of Scripture. But I believe they're misunderstood when they're taken out of context. And if we keep them in the context, then we'll see great clarity. And so what I hope to do this morning is kind of give you a big picture view, the the highlights of some of our study from James. And actually, uh, many of you contributed to this sermon because during the week I asked a a number of people, hey, give me one or two things that really stood out to you in our study of James. And based on what you've told me, those have been woven into the sermon this morning along with some of the thoughts that I've had as I've spent time uh, looking at the letter from James but it's kind of a big picture view and and it helped to categorize it a little bit as you can see in your bulletin I put it into two main groups the uh, fruit of the spirit and the deeds of the flesh the fruit of the spirit the deeds of the flesh the first category is where we see James give great encouragement and then the second category is where we see his admonishment which is exactly what you'd expect from a shepherd who is trying to, to lead a church body. He's encouraging us to, to grow in our obedience to Christ. And he's admonishing us in places where we are known to compromise. And I hope you found, as I certainly have as we've gone through the letter of James, that those early Christians are really not all that different than you and I. Because there were plenty of things that spoke to me, as I'm sure they did to them. So... Before we look at the word together, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we want to come to you this morning and just open our hearts to your word and your truth, that it may speak to our life, that it may impact our life, that it may change the way we live, relate to people in our marriage, in our family, those around us. Lord, help us to uh, hear those words and may they sink deeply into our hearts. Father, help us to encourage each other with these words. Help us to to remind one another with the truths of your scripture. And Father, I just pray that we walk faithfully in these things, even more as the day draws near. We pray this in your name. Amen. If you want to, you can turn to James chapter 5, verse 13. We'll get there later. I want to kind of bring us up to that point. As you recall, James begins his letter with an encouragement to endure. Remember, he's writing to Christians in exile, right? These are people who are now surrounded by compromise. They live in a world that's very different than their home back in Jerusalem. And, and because of that, some of them are standing strong in their faith. And yet there are others who are given into the worldly influences that surround them. So those who are standing strong in their faith, James is encouraging them. He's saying, stand strong in your faith. There is a a reward for those who endure. God can work through our difficult situations to help strengthen our faith. God can work through hard things to help build our character. When we lack wisdom, He he calls us to to ask of the Lord who gives generously and without reproach. My family and I have been praying for a really important decision that impacts our lives over the last several weeks, and we've talked about the importance of not just asking God, but looking for how God answers that request. We've made a list. We've made a list of the different ways that we've seen God at work in answering that prayer, from conversations to the scriptures to things that we can see the Lord using to help guide and direct us. So that we don't have to navigate this on our own. And our prayer has been, Lord, would you consistently confirm or clearly redirect? But we're going to look for where you are leading. And that's where James is calling us to. If you lack wisdom, ask the Lord and he will direct you. But he follows that by saying, don't be (laughs) double-minded. And that idea of double-minded is kind of someone who has a divided loyalty. Who on one hand says, Lord, I need you. And on the other hand says... Actually, I'm doing just fine on my own. Christians must cultivate a heart of dependence. Where we look to the Lord in every situation. When we come to Him in prayer, we are anticipating that He's going to lead us, and He's going to guide us, and He's going to direct us. We have to live with an everyday conviction that apart from you, Lord, I can do nothing. That song that we've sung before, every hour I need you, it's not an overstatement. It is a statement of truth from the words of Scripture, from the mouth of Jesus, who reminds us, apart from me, you can do nothing. But we also know the Scripture follows that in Philippians and says, but through Christ, you can do all things. For he he is the one who gives you strength. You see, James doesn't want us to, to depend on things we do or things we have. He wants us to ultimately find our security in the one who has us. The one who promises the crown of life to those who persevere. We also know that in the midst of this encouragement that James has been given to those who Are in a difficult place, he calls us to, at the same time, take responsibility for our sin. Because he realizes, as was the case for them, as is the case for us, we all fall short. We all make mistakes. So don't blame God. God cannot be tempted, nor does he tempt anyone towards evil. In fact, don't even blame Satan. The devil's not the one that made you do it. James says that each one of us is tempted and carried away by our own lusts. And so we must war against sin. And listen to me, praise the Lord that the battle even exists. Because apart from Christ, we are dead in our trespasses and sins. Apart from Christ, there is no struggle. We are content in our compromise but through faith in Christ we have died to sin it is no longer I who live but Christ who lives in me I am alive to God through Christ Jesus sin has lost its grip instead we are covered by grace we are empowered by the spirit of God Our victory over sin is not what we do for God. It is the result of what God is doing in us as we put our trust in Him. That's why I believe the most prevalent theme, if you were going to boil the letter of James down to one word, it would be this. Humility. Humility. God opposes the proud, but He gives grace to the humble. So humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord, and He will exalt you. I've said it before, and I believe it's true. I think a teachable heart may be the most important quality in a Christian's life. That's why James talks about cultivating a heart that is quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Out of all the verses in uh, the letter of James, that may be my favorite. Be quick to listen. Slow to speak, slow to anger. A heart that is both a hearer of the word, but also a doer of the word. So that our profession of faith matches our practice of faith. Especially when it comes to caring for those in need. Because we all know, this is evident to every one of us, it's the wealthy and successful that get all the attention in this world. (laughs) It is the poor and the lonely who are most often forgotten. And Christians, you and I, we are called to care for the ones the world overlooks. We must embrace the outcasts of our society. That's why we've done things like we've done with Lubbock Impact or Operation Christmas Child or any of the number of things that we do throughout the year, if nothing else, to keep us connected to the outcasts. Because the reality is, we can get lost in showing favoritism just like the world around us. And that can play itself out in being around people who are just like us. People that don't come with all that extra baggage and messy lives. But the church is called to be a hospital for the hurting, not a place for the perfect. Like the Scarborough family taught us. We must learn to embrace the awkward. (laughs) To enter into hard places with those who are struggling. And not because we have the right words, but because we have the right heart. Our devotion to Christ compels us. It compels us to have compassion for people. It's what James defined for us as the royal law of love. And if the law we're called to live by. Now, as he continues in his letter, James addresses an issue for the early Christians that I believe is just as prevalent for us. He confronts those who say all the right words without doing the right thing. You remember the example he gave in James of the man who didn't have food and didn't have sufficient clothes and the Christian who encountered him and said, I'll pray for you go in peace, be warm, be filled. And James says, no, no. That's not how it works. A profession of faith without a practice of faith is no faith at all. Those who don't show love don't know love. Faith without works is what? Finish it. Faith without works is it's dead so James goes back to the basics he really says it it begins with your ability to bridle your tongue because Jesus is the one who taught James to learn that your mouth speaks out of that which fills your heart a heart that is fed by springs of living water will speak life giving words So, if you want to know what's happening in your heart, then just listen to your words. Grace-filled words come from a spirit-led heart. Critical words, critical spirit, someone who has all the answers and is quick to condemn, that comes from a heart that is filled with pride. In fact, pride, as James tells us, is at the heart of every unresolved conflict. He says that it leads to disorder and every evil thing. The source, the heart, is a heart of pride. Once again, it calls us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to anger. Christians are called to be peacemakers. We are called to find common ground. I think one of the best examples in this church is Carrie Gilbert. One of the things that I appreciate about his role on our elder team is he's a peacemaker. He's always helping us see a path to protect unity. But that's who we should be as a church body, always seeking that path. We don't want to look at life from the perspective of what's best for me. As a believer, we want to look at all of life as what's best for us. So that we are leveraging the gifts and abilities Not for our own selfish gain, but for the common good of the body of Christ. That's why what flows from a humble heart and a teachable heart is what's most important in the lives of Christians. But that can only be true. That's only possible when we follow the instruction of James when he tells us to draw near to God. And he will draw near to you. We must come before the Lord in a heart of humble prayer. Prayer is a place where we surrender our heart to God's will. It is a posture of dependence. Instead of making our own plans, like we saw in James chapter 4, where the person says, we're going to go to this and this place, and we're going to do this and such business, and we're going to make this amount of money, and God, we hope you come along. It's somebody who says, What Moses said, Lord, if I'm not convinced you're in the middle of it, I'm not moving. I don't care how good it is. It's a heart of humility. It's a heart of dependence. And so as a Christian, our priorities have to shift. James has no problem, as we all need. He has no problem calling us to repentance when he sees the evidence of worldly lifestyles, worldly pursuits, when we prioritize financial security over faithful obedience, avoiding sacrifice in order to preserve our comfort, because the more we value wealth and comfort, the less we value people. Worldly treasure has no eternal value, but people do. In fact, I'd submit to you it's the only reason we're here, not in heaven. People. The Bible tells us that God's not slow about His promise. With the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. He's not slow about His promise. He's patient. Not wanting any to perish, but all to come to repentance. We should be living each and every day With the end in mind. And not just as individuals. This is a corporate responsibility. This is who we are called to be as a church. Instead of adjusting our lifestyles and our doctrine to meet cultural norms, we are called to be ambassadors for Christ. And I don't want you to lose sight of the significance of what that means. Knowing that that as an ambassador for Christ... God is making the same appeal through us that He made through the person of Jesus Christ. That's why Paul says, we beg you, on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, knowing that He who knew no sin became sin, so that we might become the righteousness of God through Him. That's the message that we are called to live by and to communicate to those around us. So after all of these things that James has written, I believe he now closes the end of his letter saying, based on what I've said, here's what you should do. Look at verse 13 in chapter 5. This is what you should do. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praises. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer offered in faith will restore the one who is sick, and the Lord will raise him up, if he, and if he's committed sins, they will be forgiven him. Therefore, confess your sins to one another. Pray for one another so that you may be healed. The effective prayer of a a righteous man can accomplish much. Elijah, as an example, was a man with a nature like ours. And he prayed earnestly that it might not rain. And it did not rain on the earth for three years and six months. And he prayed again. And the sky poured rain. And the earth produced its fruit. My brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and turns turns him back, let him know. That he turns a sinner from the error of his way will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. I'm convinced that as James closes his letter, he's calling us to respond. And specifically, I believe he's calling us to respond in prayer. It's explicit. If you're suffering, then pray. Pray. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Maybe that suffering is a result of, of a difficult trial, a, a hard situation that you're in the middle of. Maybe that suffering is a result of sin. But in either case, the solution's the same. Pray. Draw near to God, and He will draw near to you. Hey, and if things are going well, then sing praises. If things are going well, then make sure you give glory to God because that's what keeps you humble. If things are going well, then literally praise the Lord. And for those who are sick, he says, call on the elders. And let me be clear it's not because the elders are somehow uniquely endowed with the power to heal. We'll see here in just a few minutes how that's not the case based on what James will soon communicate. But what I do want you to know is what we don't know. What we don't know is, is this physical healing? Is it spiritual healing? Is it emotional healing? What could it possibly be based on everything that James has talked about in his letter? There's a myriad of situations that he could be addressing. When I asked you to give me some input this week of things that spoke to your heart as we walked through the letter of James, I said, give me one or two things. And to a person, you said, only one or two? (laughs) Because every time we turn the corner, there's something else that the Spirit of God is using to convict our heart. Sickness could be spiritual, could be emotional, could be physical, but here's what we do know. The power is not in the elders. Or in the anointing of the oil, the power is in the one in whom the person has placed their faith. That prayer of faith is based on a person who has put their faith in God. The elders are there in mutual agreement with that person that God alone has the power to heal. There is a collective resolve that God alone has the power to restore. There is a unified belief that if sin is present, then God alone has the power to forgive. The reason that we know that the elders are not somehow uniquely endowed with the, the gift of healing is because of what he says next. Therefore, confess your sins to one another once again so that you may be healed. Christians are people of confession. There should be a rhythm of repentance in our life. Responding to the work of the Spirit of God as it moves through the truth of God and penetrates the heart of man. Prayer is a posture of dependence. It reflects a heart of humility. That's why it should be a trademark quality of the christian life in order to emphasize this point we see that james turns to elijah the prophet now one of the things i want us to understand is he's not turning to elijah just to say in some way that gosh if you pray hard enough like elijah did look what could happen you could even make it rain we know that's not true because of what we just walked through a week or two ago when he told the farmer be patient because you know Only God can make it rain. The right rain at the right time. Only God has that ability. You see, the example of Elijah comes in the context of a time in Israel's history where they were ruled by a man named Ahab. Ahab, arguably, is the most evil king in Israel's history. Remember Jezebel, his sweet wife? (coughs) Not so much, right? Right? Well, God told Elijah that it would not rain as a judgment against Ahab. Before he ever uttered a prayer, God told him what would happen. So the power of Elijah's prayer was not in Elijah. It was in Elijah's ability to align his prayer with the spoken will of God. The absence of rain was the judgment of God on sin in Israel's history. The power of Elijah's prayer, the power of the elder's prayer, the power of your prayer is not in the power of the person. It is in the power and the one to whom you pray. God alone can bring healing. God alone has the power to restore. God alone can forgive our sins. The power is when our prayer aligns with God's will as is proclaimed in God's word. We pray not to change God's mind or somehow to move him towards our desire. We pray because God changed our heart so that we desire his will. That's why we pray. Since we know that's true, then why why wouldn't the church be marked as a people of prayer? Okay, you tell me, you're reading this letter from James, you've just seen how he closed it. What are you gonna do? What are you gonna do? Somebody tell me. What are you gonna do? One word. But we are. We're a people of prayer. So guess what we're going to do this morning? We're going to pray. And this is a little unorthodox. I understand that. This is outside of our norm. But I cannot get past how James closes his letter with a call to respond in prayer. And far be it from us to walk out of this room without hearing his word and doing what it says. And so here's how I want us to do it this morning. I want us to begin with just a prayer of praise. And I'm going to give you the opportunity just where you are now in the quietness of your heart to to give praise to God for where He's at work in your marriage, in your life, in your family, in your job. Wherever it is that you see God at work that, that you can only credit to the work of His hand and give Him praise. Remember, praise is what keeps us humble. And so if you don't have anything to praise, what does that say about your heart? And then, in just a few moments, I'm going to give an opportunity for anybody who feels comfortable just to speak that praise. What are you wanting to give God praise for? And let's praise Him together as a church family. And I do want you to see it this way. I mean, think about in the next few days, many of you will be together with family. And you know how enjoyable it is to gather around and to be with the people you love. Why would this be any different? We're a family. So let's share this time together. Uh, in the safety and security of the love that we have for each other. So just take a few minutes and go before the Lord with a heart of praise. So for those who feel comfortable, I would just ask that you speak out loud. God, I give you praise. And then share that praise with our church family. Yeah. And I echo that because I've seen the evidence of God's work in those two boys, those two men specifically who have come beside you to support and love you. And Randy, you've always been faithful in that as well. But just the Lord's work in y'all's lives is so evident. Praise the Lord for that. Being in a different country. We're thankful for your parents too, Josiah. And just so you know, it's Chuck and Carla Top, ministering as missionaries in Mexico. And just as he said that they have ministered to him, they have ministered to many of us in the very same way. Praise the Lord. I love that. Praise the Lord. I was thinking the same thing. I was thinking about how marriage is kind of like a dance. And there are times whenever I need my wife to come and support me and there are times when she needs me to come and support her and there's just a dance of love that allows us to care for one another. (laughs) Praise the Lord. I can't tell you how many times I've been called to a hospital. And no matter how hard and how fast I try to get there, Some of you always beat me there. (laughs) Because this is a church that loves so well. When there is a need, you're like a magnet. I mean, you just come around people so well. Praise the Lord for that. What a great gift. Amen. Doesn't it just break your heart sometimes to see the false hope that people cling to? And Isn't it great to come together and be reminded of the true hope that we all cling to? together. Praise the Lord for that. Boy, there's a long line of people who could give that praise. You guys have done that so well for so many people. Thank you. Praise the Lord. I'm thankful for your deep voice, Adam. (laughs) It's a comforting voice, isn't it? I love it. I love it. One more. Yes, in the very back. Yeah, thanks, Sharon. Isn't that true? Isn't that true for what we've learned in James? James promises that reward, right? When we endure hard things, that he uses those difficult moments to do something in our heart that we do what you just did. Give praise and glory to him. Amen. Well, I want to transition now because as you look at the way James closes, you might argue that the main prayer that he calls us to is a prayer of confession. At least three times he talks about confessing our sin, confessing to the elders, confessing to one another. He says there at the end, let him, uh, my brethren, if any among you strays from the truth and one turns him back, know that he turns a sinner from the air of his way will save his soul from death. James wants us to be a people of confession to have a rhythm of repentance. It's supposed to be the life of a Christian. And I don't know of a single Christian who's ever lived who wouldn't read the book of James and not find something to confess that the Spirit doesn't provoke in their heart about things that just doesn't quite line up with where they know God wants them to be. So what I want to ask you to do next is, again, take another moment of time just in the quietness of your heart and please be honest before the Lord. Be humble before the Lord. And if there are areas in your life that you know don't line up with where He wants you to be, confess. And here's why you can do this with a heart of thanksgiving. Because of the promise that if we confess our sins, God is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Because of the promise that you can approach the throne of grace with confidence. Why? Because you will be met with a God who's full of mercy and grace, who provided the solution for your sin, and gives freely without reproach. So as you go before the Lord in the next few minutes, and don't worry, I'm not going to ask after this for anybody to confess publicly (laughs) those sins. But I do want you to be honest before the Lord and just use this time, because is it not true for many of us, I'll just say for myself, I don't do this often enough. I don't have enough quiet space to really be honest before the Lord. Well, this is your time, so please do that now. finish up I think there's one more thing that we should uh, do and we'd be remiss if we left if we didn't that's just to take some time to pray for one another I know for a fact that there are people in this place that are in some hard situations and uh, I'm going to ask you to really protect the sanctity of this time because those people need a safe place where they can be honest about where they're at Can allow people to come alongside them. So that may mean you just need to pray with folks next to you. You may need to gather a group together of people in your area. Some of you may need to get up, walk out from where you're at, and go next to someone that you just want to pray with and pray for. You have the freedom to do that this morning. You can get up and move around to somewhere where you sit next to someone that's on your heart and just pray together. And let's please protect the sanctity of this time. To do ultimately what the Lord has called us to. To be a people of prayer. (coughs) Who enter into our places. And are willing to pray for one another. So please take some time to do that this morning. Let me say too, if there is anyone who wants to pray with Mark or carry your eye. Just so long as you know, we don't have any special ability in and of ourselves. (laughs) that we would be honored to pray with you and pray for you. And I hope that you have that same heart with one another. Let's take some time to do that. I could let me call you back uh, I want to close with uh, a psalm and I apologize ahead of time for anybody whose prayer I just interrupted uh, but I want you to know something uh, you sing beautifully but the sound of your praying together is awesome and I would hope that that would echo and resonate within the life of this church all throughout our week as we love and care for one another. Let's be a people of prayer. Let me close with uh, Psalm 105. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon His name. Make known His deeds among the people. Sing to Him. Sing praises to Him. Speak of all His wonders. Glory in His holy name. Let the heart of those who seek the Lord be glad. Seek the Lord and his strength. Seek his face continually. May God's grace continue to be with you and guide you as you put your trust in him. I love you. and I hope to see you tonight.